Welcome to The Inside. This is the week Hollywood has been planning for for more than a year. With the 4th of July holiday weekend, a steady stream of major motion picture films will soon hit cinemas from every major studio with something for just about everybody in the family. I am Jim Chabot in Los Angeles, and with me is Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good to hear you. Wim, uh, you just returned from Cine Europe, and this is the really one of the big kickoffs for the holiday weekend in, in the U.S. What was the mood in Europe last week? I think the mood was, uh, was very good, uh, what I could see, uh, in the sense that every show after COVID, people are very keen on seeing the slate, right? <laughs> they want to see what titles are coming. They were showing, you know, Mission Impossible. They were showing... Um, Indiana Jones. So, so there were, of course, too many to, to mention, but there were many um, people very pleased with, with what they could see. Now, you know, like everybody, you know, says, right, the summer is coming, it's big season, right? So it needs to be strong, but at least people felt a bit that the content pipeline looked uh, promising. Well, we have two fantastic guests with us today to take that conversation uh, forward. In a little bit, we're going to be joined by Faden Papa Michael, will join us from Athens, Greece. Faden served as the director of photography for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which opened this weekend. So we're excited to be going behind the scenes on this last chapter of this iconic film franchise. But first, we want to get a sense of how the global box office is faring and how the next few weeks and months could roll out. And for that, we've got a fantastic guest. Yes. Nancy Tartaglione is the international box office editor and senior contributor to Deadline, Hollywood source for breaking news. She covers the worldwide film, television, and media business for Deadline, and she joins us from Spain. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for making the time for us. Of course. Overall, tell us, how do you see the summer box office so far? And looking ahead, what do you think are factors which could significantly impact the summer season this year? Well, I think, you know, summer started out really quite strong. It's been a little bit hit and miss of late with some movies that we expected to do better. I think, as Jim was just saying, you know, there's a lot coming up. There's a lot in the next several weeks that I think we're quite hopeful for. Some markets are underperforming or at least not totally firing. Some markets we're really grateful to have back, you know, showing real improvement overseas. But for the moment, I mean, I I'm very hopeful that we'll finish the summer in great fashion, but I think we've had like kind of a funny little lull here. People were really curious, as we are, about The Flash. It did not perform at all, and Elemental from Pixar had a disappointing launch. What do you think happened there? I mean, you know, we've uh, certainly at Deadline, we've written about this to a great extent. I think The Flash, you know, it's kind of a bummer. I mean, uh, you guys maybe were at CinemaCon in Vegas as as I was in, in April. I thought the movie played really well, but you've got a deeper you know, DC Universe character. And then if you can't travel your star, you know, internationally, it's so important. You look at what, I mean, Tom Cruise is a different beast, but you look at what Tom is doing right now. He's been in like eight cities in the last week and a half. But they, you know, they were, Warner Bros. was hamstrung with this star. And and it's it, it's a bummer because, again, I, I, you know, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Do you think these kinds of disappointments affect strategies going for, forward? overall, or do you think they are pretty much title-specific 
It's a very good question. I imagine so. I imagine that everybody, you know, there's a lot of retaking of stock on a Monday morning. With regard to Elemental, you know, it has really rebounded overseas. I mean, it's not totally on fire, not to, you know, forgive the the pun, but it had an 18% drop in its second weekend overseas. And then just this past weekend, I think it was 7%, including China, but only minus 3%, excluding China. And it's doing really well in Korea. So sometimes you need to give, you know, a little bit of time. This weekend, Indiana Jones came to the cinema. What are you hearing about the opening weekends? And what's your thought about the Indiana Jones franchise? I am a diehard Indiana Jones fan. I will start with that. Raiders is right up there in my my top five movies of all time. But unfortunately, this weekend was a disappointment. It was facing strong headwinds out of Cannes, where it world premiered. I, I was there, and you know the the reviews were were tepid. Audience response has been better, but they're just. I think maybe there's a disconnect, perhaps, with younger audiences. That demo doesn't necessarily race out on on opening weekend either. And there's also issues with the franchise, not in and of itself, but simply because it doesn't have a history in some markets. I mean, I said before the weekend, China is usually a swing, but it's not going to do anything in China. And it didn't do anything in China. They don't have a history with that character, with that franchise. Parts of Asia were, were soft. Latin America was soft. Japan whose audience whose younger audiences have have more recently throughout the pandemic sort of turned more more towards local fare you have an older audience there though that actually really likes nostalgia i mean again look at what top gun top gun had legs for a year in uh, top gun maverick had legs for a year in japan we saw an interesting set of numbers for no hard feelings it's a r-rated comedy starring jennifer lawrence it seemed to impress people that it did better than maybe expected. Is that an indicator that comedies can succeed and do well in, in this market again? What are your thoughts about that? I mean, hopefully. The, I think one of the most challenging areas has been romantic comedies. I mean, this, this is a hard R, right? This is an R-rated comedy. But we saw audiences return last year for to, to see George Clooney and Julia Roberts and Ticket to Paradise. We've seen some success with R-rated comedies pre-pandemic. I'm speaking internationally. They're not always a sell like The Hangover. You know, it, it has to be something that's kind of universal. And comedies overseas, at least, typically tend to do well in the more Anglo-Saxon skewing markets, you, you know, UK, Australia, Germany. In the next coming weeks, we've got, um, you know, Mission Impossible, like being said, but followed by Oppenheimer, right, from Christopher Nolan. We've got Barbie yeah. from Greta Gerwin. How do you see this impacting the performance of the box office? Barbie's had like an amazing marketing campaign. I mean, they just, I think the awareness is incredibly high. Also, you've got something that's based on a, on a toy, an iconic doll that really crosses all culture barriers, right? And then you've got Oppenheimer, which this is my personal opinion. You know, they say don't bet it against Jim Cameron. I think you don't bet against Chris Nolan. This is a different kind of movie. I haven't seen it yet, but everything I've heard, you know, has been very positive. I think that it's important to remember that, 
you know, isn't this great that we have all these movies coming out after such a fallow period for the last few years, right? It's sometimes unfortunate that, that there's a head-to-head -head clash, but I think there's room for all of these movies to succeed. Let's talk about the different audiences, right? So we talked about Barbie, right? The marketing is definitely catching uh, attention. Christopher Nolan, right, is known for his theatrical spectacle, you know, which he can bring. Definitely a very different audience they're addressing there. So talk us a little bit about the audiences they're both attracting uh, and what is it going to do for the, for the business? Well, th there are different demos there, different audiences, but also no reason that they couldn't cross over. And I think that one of the most important things, again, you know, we heard this at Cine Europe, we hear it at CinemaCon, I hear it from my executives all the time. This diverse offering is so important. There needs to be something out there for everyone. And then it, it just is really important to have a diversity of films because also success or at least traffic begets more traffic. You get somebody in a movie theater having a good time. They see trailers. They see lobby cards. I mean, that sounds kind of arcane, but it's true. Movie going is a habit. Yeah. And you just, you want to continue to reinforce that habit now that a certain part of the world or, or many people in the world had sort of lost it during, during this period where it was, you know, touch and go, whether we could, we could go outside. China's been a strong market for Hollywood movies over the last decade. That seems to have cooled a bit due to the pandemic and maybe chillier political relations? Uh, who knows? What's your take on the China market right now? I don't think we're going to get China back in terms of the way that Hollywood had success, you know, uh, years past. When it was from the years of 2012, when they signed a new agreement, or when the quotas changed and the, and the, the revenue share changed through to, to 2019. It's been better this year in terms of China granting release dates for Hollywood movies, but the audience seems to have just kind of moved on. You know, they're also making their own blockbusters. They've learned, they, they've excelled in, you know, gotten better in animation. Not all of the patriotic stuff goes down 100%. You know, just last weekend, not this very past weekend, but uh, like 10 days ago, was Dragon Boat Festival. There were 10 movies released. Really only one is doing well, but it seems like they've, started to create their own franchises and their own stars. And that stuff doesn't necessarily travel internationally outside the Chinese diaspora in certain markets, but it just, it, not that it's over for Hollywood in China, but it doesn't feel like we're going to see those outside, those crazy numbers like we had on Avengers Endgame in the summer. Wim, you have, you have many partners in China. You have a big footprint there with Cineonic and, and installations and all the major chains and theaters. What's your, what are your partners in China telling you? This is really interesting. No, no, I think I, I um, agree with what's been said here in the sense that it's not going to be easy to get China back. I think the, the point I do believe we're forgetting is that when you come up with certain content, we're going to have to warm up the audience. We're going to have to bring them back in that mode or going to make sure there's a connection to that content. And I think that just launching a movie and not being able to do a thorough campaign, which is maybe bigger than it used to be, I think is going to make it tough. So I think my point is Hollywood needs to try harder, but I think also be thoughtful about it, not just because we think it's a good movie in the rest of the world, that it's going to be a good movie in China. So I think we need to target it more. We need to think more and investigate more about what would be 
subjects which is going to fit better the Chinese audiences. Nancy, how would you define success for a major theatrical film? Many of them very expensive, the marketing that goes with them. How do you define success? How do you think the studios look at it now? Has it changed over the last couple of years? That's a really good question. I think that the most important thing that that we know for sure is that a theatrical release is the key element because it leads to the downstream revenue and you simply don't make that kind of money. You don't have that tail. You don't have that life. It's not like the old days where China can save a movie that's not doing well somewhere else, right? Can a movie recoup enough in ancillaries if it didn't do well theatrically? That's, I really leave that up to people with, you know, who have those like special calculators that, that I don't have. <laughs> Looking out for the rest of the year, Nancy, how do you see 2023 for the cinema business? You know, I think we're in good shape. I mean, we're, we're already up on last year. This isn't going to be the year that, you know, gets us back to a 2019 level. We've got a little bit of a lull in the fall, which I'm sure, you know, you heard the same thing that I did uh, in Barcelona. You know, that's that's a little bit of a concern, but rest of the summer has some good stuff coming up. You know, hopefully plugging that hole in the in the fall is something that's on folks' minds for next year. You know, overseas in 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 my world that I cover, you know, in depth, there's been some great turnaround for markets like Italy. Uh, Spain's doing better, and Italy is a real success story. And and also they're investing in this summer, so hopefully that's going to really help. Nancy, deadline is uh, among my very first reads early in the morning. Here, your analysis and your your coverage is always thought provoking and interesting, and we are so glad you're in the industry. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back with a behind-the-scenes look at Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny with cinematographer Faden Papa Michael right after this. The Insider Show is made possible through the generous support of Cineonic, providing future-ready technical solutions to cinemas. With more than 100,000 projectors installed, Cineonic now illuminates more than half of the world's cinemas every day. Visit Cineonic.com. Our second guest insider today is one of the most revered cinematographers in our industry. Faden Papa Michael was born in Athens, Greece. Setting his sights on a career in film, he spent his professional life creating some of the most memorable and emotional images of our time. In more than 50 films, including The Monuments Men, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, The Descendants, Nebraska, and Ford versus Ferrari. His latest work placed him at the side of his frequent collaborator, director James Mangold. Together, they've created one of the most anticipated films of the year, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. He joins us live today from Athens, Greece. Welcome, Faden Papa Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Well, congratulations on this film. want to get right to it. The anticipation has been through the roof. Do you remember when you saw your first Indiana Jones film? I certainly remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think I, it was uh, in a movie theater in Munich, where at the time I was uh, studying. And it certainly was a big part of me loving Hollywood cinema. I mean, I, you know, in Germany, we grew up watching on, on television. We had John Ford Westerns. 
you know, it was kind of limited exposure. We had like three channels, but every Saturday night I would watch Westerns and other Hollywood adventure fair. So this was a, a very big influence early on in my career. Yeah. You've worked with James Mangold on, on this year's sixth film. You've done so many other genres. Is there something different about shooting an Indiana Jones movie than the other films that you've done? First of all, I mean, doing the final installment of historical franchise like this is a huge venture privilege. Uh, I, d- I did ask Janusz Kaminski, my, my friend who shot the uh, Crystal Skull, coincidentally, he did the last one. I said, so how is it, you know, doing one of these things? He goes, oh, it's the hardest movie I've ever done. And uh, you know, <laughs> I, I can confirm that it's it's a huge challenge. I mean, technically, we're in, you know, multiple countries, a huge crew, uh, lighting stages location you know the good thing about this movie i mean it's although certainly it has its share of the effects but you can go to every location that we shot on and stand there and go well this is where this is shot this is where this is shot Uh, whether it's scotland or we shot glasgow for new york we were in sicily on the beaches we were in morocco and fez for the tuk tuk sequence you know so you can go to all these places of course there's a lot of stage work as well that cuts in and fills in. So that was a huge challenge, you know, incorporating all the the coverage at times, the blue screen, and make it work with all the location work that was done, you know, months apart. Uh, So that was a huge challenge. The American Film Institute is named Indiana Jones as the second greatest movie hero of all time, just behind Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. Wow. How did you want to capture Harrison Ford? What was your vision for getting those those images. What what were you setting out to do when you when you worked on this? Well, as you mentioned, I mean, there's these classic indie images. The, it's the shadows, the harder shadows on the wall. It is the the silhouettes with a little highlight on his eyes. And so we were looking for moments, for the opportune moments, to pay tribute to those visual references to indie. And it was fun looking for them. And from my end, it required a, a different approach because I'm, you know, I always like to apply logic and to the natural light, uh, uh, but, you know, this lend itself and I, I I wanted to stay very much in tone to the indie movies and to Douglas Sockham and, and play with harder light, play more with colors, play with atmospheric smoke, uh, silhouettes, backlights, uh, things that I usually tend to be more subtle with. In this case, I, I really embraced it and, and Jim was uh, also, you know, very much encouraging to dip into that visual, into those aesthetics for this film and continue the legacy and and pay tribute to what these other great masters have done with this franchise. You've worked with James quite a bit. What happens between the two of you that makes things better or different that you've worked so many times together? I don't think we think of ourselves as action Filmmakers. I mean, we have done, you know, Night and Day also. And of course, you know, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari in a way is a, is an action picture. I mean, a lot of car work, high-speed car chases, a lot of rigs uh, in a way similar to this, where you've got your main characters moving all the time. I think this that's the biggest challenge on India also. You still have to capture the characters, which is what Mangold and I focus on. Jim is very, very good about creating intimacy with the main characters. And that's what makes indie work. It's it's catching all, you know, people are on the run. They're on trains, they're on airplanes, they're on boats. Uh, but, you know, it's still allowing the audience to connect to the main character, to have an intimacy, having an emotional 
context to what's happening and therefore you have to capture these moments where we like to go in close and and be physically close with the camera we don't really typically do multiple camera setups we like to approach this movie indie and ford versus ferrari very much like we would do a more intimate drama and i think that's why these movies uh, connect with the audience because christian bale in the car you know it's it's spectacular race car footage but also it's constantly intercutting with moments of what's happening in his head what's he what's he all the little beats that he's feeling and and same with Indy, you know, I mean, this is about communicating the humor, the interaction between the characters and all that while we're in a constant high speed <laughs> roller coaster. So that, that's where it gets technically challenging. But the trick to why Jim's movies, Mango's films really connect and are maybe different than your standard just action fair is that it's always the priority is to understand what the individual character, what our hero is, is going through emotionally. Steven Spielberg said that he told Jim Mangold that making an Indiana Jones movie is like making a trailer that just keeps going for two hours. It kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of true, yeah. Everyone asked me, can you single out a, a sequence that stands out? And I, I really, I go, well, this this is a nonstop roller coaster, right? I really, you know, there's not, not one sequence more challenging than the, the other. And... But but you know, we love we love Spielberg. You know, one of it. I mean, of course, we watch the Raiders and the indie movies. But you know, also just the way he moves the camera. Like, catch me if you can. I remember calling Jim and going, "Look how elegant the camera is and the blocking." And he goes, "Yeah, Stephen really likes that one too." And you know, so we have, like I said, you know, we have similar taste. It's not like we're really having to strain ourselves to to copy that style. We we in a way it comes naturally to us because it's it's the way we like to. Uh, Tell stories anyway. There's been much discussion uh, recently, uh, Tom Cruise, Christopher Nolan, and even Steven Spielberg about they make movies for cinema. And I wanted to ask you, what does cinema do for your pictures that makes you feel that your work is properly projected? I, I must say, I mean, I consider myself as part of that group. I exclusively want to shoot for the big screen as long as it exists i mean to the point where you know i'm scrutinizing everything it has to hold up big uh, we joke on the set well nobody will notice on an iphone or an ipad or on an airplane but you know we are not lowering our standards and we want it to hold up to this high standards of having a gigantic in front of you i mean that goes for the vfx and for my lighting and for the lensing and i still use lenses that are vintage and were used in the 70s and 80s anamorphic glass that shows subtleties of little fall-offs and vignettes on the edges and all that kind of probably gets lost in a, in a smaller viewing format uh, but to me it's very important that we shoot for an audience experience it on the big screen and there's nothing that can duplicate that the, the collective experience of watching a movie especially when it's engaging and the characters are so magnificent and strong and funny and uh, you know I I just want to I don't want to experience it any other way one of the uh, encouraging aspects through the pandemic and since that time is that the theater industry has not stopped for a moment upgrading to laser projection so now if you go into a movie theater almost anywhere the chances of it being laser is is exponentially higher than it was even four or five years ago yeah everyone has a big game because the, the consumers 
especially during COVID, you know, they got confined to their home. So they all upgraded. They all got big OLEDs and or projectors at home. They got better sound systems. So it's it's a moving target. We have to also step up the cinema game and then laser projectors. And there's some other projectors now coming out as well that will increase the, the viewing quality. And uh, But, you know, it's not just that. It's just experiencing in a room with an audience, I think, which is the main difference. And it becoming a social event, going out and having popcorn, being with your family and experiencing with, you know, hundreds of other people. I mean, that that you can't replace at home. I was struck in in preparing the questions for for our talk today that I've seen every one of your, of your movies and I, I we have many wonderful guests on this program but I'm really struck <laughs> that you the kind of movies you make are the ones I love. Yeah, right? and I feel the same way. I mean, I, I want to work. And people ask me how did you? I, I go. I, I want to work on movies that I would want to go see myself that I would buy a ticket for and and I really feel. I have managed that whether I got lucky or I somehow instinctively made the right choices and chose the right filmmakers. But I really like most, like I've done 50, over 50 features and I kind of like all of them, you know, there were a few, maybe one misstep. <laughs> do you step back or do you, when you're in a moment of reflection, do you have a sense that you're at the peak of your power or you have, you've hit a level of expertise and experience and insight that delivers for anyone working with you your very best work? I, I, yes. I, I feel very fortunate that I'm in a position and I have found collaborators that I enjoy working with. I'm not super eager to run out and explore new directors because I like working with Jim. I like working with Alexander Payne. We've done, you know, it's like I kind of know what we're doing uh, and I feel fortunate but that's why I also sometimes like to do smaller movies and I have worked recently with Christy Hall first time director who wrote the script and it's like a tier one five million dollar movie but you know great script great material so it gives me also making the bigger movies also gives me the liberty sometimes to you know make a little bit of financial sacrifice and working on smaller movies but, you know, I feel very fortunate and I, I do worry about the next generations. I know there's a generation younger than me with Boite and Greg Frazier and, and and Linus. And I mean, and then, you know, Roman Vasyanov and they're coming up that they still. But I, I am worried a little bit about the cinematographers not having that same clout and their suspect. And because of the mystique of what we did has sort of been eliminated by everybody being able to watching on a monitor, you know, before I was a guy with a viewing glass and a light meter and talking to the lab and printing dailies. And, uh, you know, so a little bit of that's gone away. And uh, that magic that, you know, the, the the people I admired and the old timers and, you know, the, the, the cinematographers in the past had, I, I think maybe that's trickling away uh, a little bit. Do you get time off before you start your next project? And what is your next project? Uh, well, it's going to be with James Mangold, and uh, we're in pre-production on uh, a Bob Dylan uh, movie with Timothy Chalamet, and that starts very soon. Actually, most of the people are already working on it. I'm, I'm about to start that next month. So, and I will want to see that film as well. Yeah, I hope so. Give our best to Mr. Mangold. We are huge fans of his. Thank you so much for doing what you do and making going to the theater a magical experience. 
We've not seen Indiana Jones. We will. And maybe we'll see you on Oscar night. That's right. what my hunch is. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Faden. Great. Thanks, uh, and enjoy, enjoy your break in Athens. Thank you. My pleasure. Our quote of the day comes from Tom Cruise, whose Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning opens July 12th. Tom says, this summer is full of amazing movies to see in theaters. Congratulations, Harrison Ford, on 40 years of indie and one of the most iconic characters in history. I love a double feature, and it doesn't get more explosive or more pink than one with Oppenheimer and Barbie. Thank you, Faden. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Wim. And thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.